All right, so hey everybody, happy Easter from Harvest Community Church. I'm Brian, and uh, I'm one of our pastors here at Harvest, and I'm so excited that you're celebrating Easter with us, Easter 2021. It's amazing to think what a year the last year has been, right? And yet here we are, and uh, as we do year in and year out, we're celebrating because He has risen. There's always hope there. Before we jump into the Word and before we pray today, I just want to ask you to do one thing for me. Would you go uh, in the links on YouTube or on Facebook, however you're watching, would you say hello? We would love to know that you're watching. We would love to interact with you. In fact, we'd love it in the links if you would fill out our digital communication card. If you have no idea where to find that, you can also find it on our website. That's harvestchurcheugene.com. But should be in the links on YouTube and on Facebook. We ask everybody to fill out a digital communication card every single week because we want to know what's new and fresh in your life and we want to know how we can pray for you. Now, if you've been watching for a bit and you've never filled out a digital communication card or maybe, um, maybe today's your very first time, would you consider filling out that card? We would love the chance to get to know you. I promise we're not going to show up at your house. We will send you a little bit of information. We're going to send you a survey. And um, you know what? If you fill this out for the very first time, we would love to do something to honor you. We have a partnership with Monroe Middle School right here in our neighborhood. And through that partnership, we regularly give away, in honor of our guests, $5 in your name, in each of your family members' names, to Monroe, to a Families in Crisis Fund. And so if you're new today and uh, there's maybe four of you in your family, you give us all four of your names, fill out that card. We're going to uh, send 20 bucks to honor your family uh, to that Families in Crisis Fund at Monroe Middle School. We would love to do that to honor you. Now, if you're a guest with us, please know that we'd love for you to sit back and relax. We'd love to have you back. We'd love to have you back uh, in the coming weeks, and we'll talk about that a little more as uh, we make our way through the message today. But know this, um, we, don't, we, don't, we don't want to ask anything of you except for you to be ministered to through this service. Now, that being said, all of us who consider Harvest our home, there are links for giving and some other things you can do there as well. And please, please know, um, if you're a guest, we're not asking you to give. But those of us that consider Harvest our home, uh, we consider it a privilege to be able to give. And we want to be a part of what God is doing right here in the Southern Willamette Valley. So will you pray with me? And then we're going to jump into our message. Jesus, we thank you that you have risen. We thank you that you are alive. And Jesus, we find great, great hope in knowing that not only were you alive then, but you are still alive today. And Jesus, we thank you that you live in us as believers in you. And so Jesus, we ask today that you would speak, that you would move, and that as we worship you, that our lives would be changed. Jesus, we ask that we would have deep and lasting and renewing and refreshing hope bubble up deep within our souls. Jesus, we ask that you would help us to remember today how powerful our hope really is when it's rooted in you. So Jesus, we love you. We give you this time. We ask you to speak to our hearts and change our lives. We pray in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. So anyone need some hope right now? I know I do. It's been quite a year. And hope when real is powerful. But then again, despair, when it's real, is not only powerful, but overwhelming. 
I read some quotes this week I thought were really good. Someone has said that hope is that indispensable element that makes the present so important. Significantly, the absence of future hope has an amazing capacity to reach into the present and eat away at the structure of life as termites would eat away a giant foundation. Dr. Emil Bruner said that what oxygen is for the lungs, such is hope for the meaning of life, the meaning of human life. If you take oxygen away, death occurs through suffocation. If you take hope away, humanity is constricted through lack of breath and despair and hopelessness set in. Hope is a word I think we often misunderstand. We think of hoping to mean something like wishful thinking. You know, I hope so. I hope that the ducks do better next year. I hope wishful thinking. But hope really biblically is not at all something wishful, and it's not just about thinking. Hope is about expectations. It's about expecting something, and it's about expecting it confidently. Like when you were a kid and Christmas came and you, you were expecting when you came downstairs to see the presents under the tree. It's waiting, but it's waiting with confidence. And today we're going to talk about Easter. And I want you to notice in the story as we talk about it, the shift from no hope in some of the disciples to powerful hope in the disciples. We're going to study and talk about a lady named Mary today. Her, her name, biblically, we're, we know her as Mary Magdalene or Mary of Magdala. And you're going to see in the story her hope had died because Jesus had died. But her love for him had not because he had changed her life. So this is what Scripture says, John chapter 20, if you're reading with me today. And I hope you do have a Bible if you're watching at home or if you're watching in person. Would you get your Bible out? Would you read along with me? John chapter 20, near the end of the Gospel of John, the biography of the life of Jesus written by John the Apostle. It says, early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So just pause there a minute and understand a little bit about her and a little bit about her backstory. Her name is Mary of Magdala, just like he is Jesus of Nazareth, right? And so Magdala Magdalene is not her last name. It's where she's from. Her first name is Mary. Mary uh, is a very biblical name. It comes from the Hebrew word Miriam. Miriam was Moses' sister. She's quite an amazing lady when you, worry, when you read about Mary of Magdala. Her backstory begins for us biblically in Luke chapter 8 in the first few verses. It says, After this, Jesus traveled about from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. And there were twelve with him, and also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out. So there's her introduction. There was also Joanna, the wife of Cusa, the manager of Herod's household, and Susanna, and many others. And these women were helping to support the disciples out of their own means. And so they were supporting Jesus. They were disciples. They were supporting disciples in 
what they did. And so coming back, I just want you to realize that she's been with Jesus for a while, that he has changed her life, that she was filled with seven. Seven's the biblical number of completeness. So we don't know exactly how many demons, perhaps just seven, but she was filled with the demonic and Jesus came along and he cured her. He cast out these demons and diseases. We'll talk about what those demons do in just a moment, but I want to pick it up Verse 2, it says, So she came running to Simon Peter, <clears throat> excuse me, and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved. Now that's, that's John who's writing this, but he doesn't want to make the story about him. He wants it to be about Jesus. So he calls himself in the gospel, the one who Jesus, whom Jesus loved. And he said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they put him. So Peter and the other disciples started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but he did not go in. And then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. And he saw the strips of linen lying there as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. And the cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. And finally, the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside and he saw and believed. That's powerful. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. And then the disciples went back to where they were staying. So you kind of see the story here, right? She goes believing that someone has taken Jesus to tell some of the disciples, and Peter and John come running, and they don't totally understand when they see the empty tomb either, in spite of the fact that Jesus had predicted all of this. And I want you to see today, as we're going to read the rest of Mary's story here, that Easter is powerful, and Easter means hope. In fact, the one thing I want to show you today, the one thing this message is about, is that Easter means there's hope for the hurting. Hope for the hurting. Because Jesus has overcome. There's hope for the hurting. Mary was hurting this day. When she met him, she was hurting from those demons that day. And here she is, and again, when Jesus died, her hope died. Her love for him did not. And don't make too much out of that. There are some uh, myths that make it around these days about how Jesus was maybe perhaps married to Mary Magdalene. There's nothing in the Scripture that would teach that. The earliest reference to anything that would even hint that comes out of the Gospel of Philip. It was written a long time later, and all it said, and the Gospel of Philip is not biblical. It's a what's known as a Gnostic Gospel. It's a false gospel that was written by a, uh, by a cult, essentially, back after the times of Bible times. And in it, there is a reference, not biblical, to Jesus kissing her. Of course, there are references to lots of people kissing in the Bible, not in a romantic sense. So he would have kissed the other disciples as well, as was their culture common to do, right? So anyway, Mary Magdalene, not married to Jesus. We're going to pick up her story, but she's hurting because Jesus, in her mind, is dead. And she's hurting, and it's difficult, and it's painful. And now his body is gone, and she thinks someone has taken him. And she's going to discover that there's hope for the hurting because Jesus has overcome. And there's hope for you, hope for the hurting. Because Jesus has overcome. He's overcome death, he's overcome disease, he's overcome sickness, and he's overcome sin. 
and he is alive. So read this with me. John chapter 20, picking the story up in verse 11, it says, Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying, and as she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. And they asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. And at this she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. And he asked her, Woman, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? So notice, she had been looking into the tomb. Now she turns around and there's Jesus behind her outside the tomb, right? Why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? And thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will get him. And she's she's passionate here. She's going to take the dead body of Jesus, throw him on her shoulders, and take him back to wherever she can. Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which is just the Aramaic word for teacher, as he tells us here. In other words, when he called her name, she recognized his voice, much as it says in John 10 that the shepherd knows the sheep and they recognize his voice. Jesus said, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. And Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. And if you read the story and you read the other Gospels, what you're going to discover is they didn't exactly believe her. But this story reminds me, you can see the aha moment happen as we read the story that she doesn't recognize him and he calls her by name and then suddenly the light bulbs go on and it's aha. And she cries out, teacher. Powerful. This is powerful because the biographies of Jesus don't end like every other biography. If you read biographies, you would know that most biographies end with a death. But all four biographies of Jesus end not with his death, but with his resurrection and a little bit after. This is perhaps the greatest comeback of all time. If you enjoy watching Damian Lillard hit threes for the Trailblazers and make a comeback, if you feel like some of the greatest football games you've ever watched from the Ducks or the Beavers involve comebacks where they were down 20 or 30 points and in a short time they were able to come back, as good as those sports comebacks are, this is the greatest comeback of all time. That the world thought Jesus was dead and gone and so did his disciples. They had given up hope. But there's hope for the hurting because Jesus has overcome. Her hope had died, but she still cared. And he was no longer dead. So I want to give you four reasons that Easter means hope. And I want to be super practical about this, but I want to teach you back through the story as well. And I want to show you how powerful this Easter story really is. Remember, Easter means hope for the hurting because Jesus has overcome. 
Four reasons that Easter means hope. Number one, Easter means there's hope for my grief and my pain. There's hope for my grief and my pain. Do you identify with her grief at all? After all we've gone through in the last year and how difficult the pandemic has been, is there pain and grief in your life over something? Perhaps you have lost someone. Perhaps a friend or someone else you care about has been lost. Do you know the pain of grief? I think about many of our friends who we've prayed for through this year, those that are battling cancer, those struggling to breathe through worsening lung disease. I think about the single moms or the single dads with questioning teenagers, and it's such a struggle. I think about couples that had to be married this year, but they were not able to be with friends and family in the way they wanted for their wedding. I think about daughters who've lost their dads, sons who've lost parents. I think about all the, all the moms that have given birth this year and all the family members that weren't allowed to gather around and celebrate. I look back through the year and I think about our non-white brothers and sisters who feel so broken over hatred targeted at the color of their skin. Do you feel the grief and pain of the last year? I'm sure you do. And what I want you to know is that there is hope for the hurting. There is hope for our grief and our pain. It says in verse 11, Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying, and as she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb. And I just want you to see that you can enter in and feel her grief. I have heard things said by people this year that just break your heart. The ways people have gone at each other over the politics, the way people have gone at each other over the pandemic where they've let personal opinion make them callous to the hurts, to the fears, to the pains, to the cautions of other people. And I think when we read this, we should certainly hear that she cried at the tomb, that she was overwhelmed by the thought that his body had been stolen, but she did not put on a false face. She was not... Oh, you know, it's all going to be okay. Oh, it's all going to be good. She just cried in her grief and standing outside that empty tomb with arms ready to, to bring spices and do things to treat the body, but with a broken heart, she utters the words in the midst of all of her tears. We don't know where they've taken him. She didn't know where he was, but he knew exactly where she was. And he understood her grief. The longer I live in this world, the more tuned in I am to the pain and suffering, to the sadness and sickness, to the disease and the despair. It's a broken and hurting world around us. And it's no wonder people give up hope. But Easter proves that there is more than this world, that there's more than its grief and its pain. There's even more than this life's beauties and its pleasures. There's more than this world, and Easter proves that there's understanding, that there's comfort, that there's healing for my grief 
for my pain, for my sorrow, for my sadness. And the reason there's hope is because he is alive. He has overcome. Easter means there's hope for the hurting because he has overcome. Number two, Easter means that there's hope in God's mercy. There's hope in God's mercy. Do you ever feel like, if you were just honest with yourself, that God couldn't possibly love you? Because if God knew everything you'd ever done, and you know everything you've ever done, you're not so sure that God would love you because there are days you don't love yourself. In fact, there are days you don't even like who you are. And I would imagine for many of us in the pandemic, that that sense of disappointment in ourselves has only risen as things have been so, so difficult. You know all about your flaws. You know all about your shortcomings. That's just another way of agreeing with the Bible. You know all about your sins. Sins just means to fall short. It's our shortcomings. It's our flaws. It's the things we do wrong that we shouldn't do, and it's the things we don't do right that we should And you know all about them. And you wonder secretly if God might love others because they're just better people than you. You're just too messed up, too broken, too full of hurt and pain and guilt and shame. But Easter means there's mercy and there's grace. And because of that, there's hope. And there's this beautiful picture of mercy in the story, but it's very hidden. It says in verse 12, And she saw two angels in white, seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. And the angels asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They've taken my Lord away, she said. I don't know where they've put him. That's her grief. The picture you get here is a flat surface where the body of Jesus had been laid after it had been wrapped in cloths. And when John looked in, remember, when Peter looked in, they saw those cloths still there. Don't you think if someone stole the body that they wouldn't have taken time to unwrap it? There's always this myth out there that the disciples stole the body, and the story pretty much just blows that apart. But this picture of a flat surface with an angel on either side reminds me of something else in Scripture. Something powerful in Scripture. It's the lid to the Ark of the Covenant. Now, if you know nothing about the Bible, this may not make much sense to you. But if you've been around the Bible very much, you've kind of learned and you know that the Ark of the Covenant was very important to the Jewish people in ancient times, to ancient Israel. And the lid of the Ark of the Covenant was made out of pure gold, and it was a flat top with two angels, two cherubim, right, pictured on top, angels with their wings, and they formed a sort of curve, if you will. In fact, I'm going to bring the picture up of the Ark of the Covenant while we talk about this. But this lid of the Ark of the Covenant was called, among other things, the mercy seat. And it is spoken of in the ancient scriptures in Exodus chapter 25, where it says, make an atonement cover of pure gold, two and a half cubits long and a cubit and a half wide, and make two cherubim hammered out of gold at the ends of the cover. Make one cherub on one end and a second cherub on the other, and make the cherubim of one piece with the cover at the two ends. 
And the cherubim are to have their wings spread upward, overshadowing the cover with them. And the cherubim are to face each other, looking toward the cover. And place the cover on the top of the ark, and put in the ark the tablets of the covenant of the law that I will give you. And there above the cover, between the two cherubim that are over the ark of the covenant law, I will meet with you, and I will give you all my commands for the Israelites. And so that place in the middle of the ark is where the presence of God would dwell. And when they built the tabernacle as a tent, and later when they built the temple as a permanent home, inside the Holy of Holies, the most holy place where nobody could go, where, where, where one person, the high priest, could go once a year after a lot of sacrifice, there would dwell the Shekinah glory of God, where the presence of God would dwell with men, with women. And that place was also where, this is beautiful, where in the Day of Atonement, sacrifices would be made for sins and the blood of goats goats and the blood of bulls would be sprinkled on that spot. And so this spot, the lid of the Ark of the Covenant, was called the mercy seat because it's where the presence of God would dwell and it's where mercy was paid for, where it was found. And so between the angels, God communed with man. And between those angels in that tomb, when Jesus was resurrected, lay the body of Jesus, God in the flesh, who has come literally to be the presence of God in our lives. John, who wrote this, John 20, said in John 1.14 that the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us, and we have seen his glory the glory of the one and only who came from the Father full of grace and truth. I wonder if John, when he wrote that, John 1.14, wasn't picturing the Shekinah glory of God dwelling with men and thinking about Jesus who is the glory of God dwelling literally, physically, humanly in our presence. And when Mary looked into the tomb and she saw those two angels, I wonder if she didn't think about the blood of bulls and goats that were sprinkled on the Day of Atonement for the sacrifice of sins. And if she didn't think about how that spot had laid Jesus, the Lamb of God, who when He was crucified and His blood was spilled, takes away the sins of the world. Jesus, who was sacrificed for our sins. This place is called the mercy seat, and we get this hint of it here, this picture of it, and I think it's just a beautiful picture. Of course, mercy and grace are something that have got to be experienced, and the more I experience them, the more willing I am to give them away. Because you cannot give away what you do not have, and you will not give away what you have not experienced. So I wonder if you've experienced the mercy and the grace of God in that mercy seat. Peter, who ran to the tomb with John, I wonder if years later he didn't remember that picture when he later wrote 1 Peter. In 1 Peter 1.3, he wrote, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That's everything we're talking about today in one verse. Easter means there's hope for the hurting. 
because Jesus has overcome. Number three, Easter means that hope is both powerful and personal. Hope is both powerful and personal. It's powerful because you think about who Mary Magdalene was, right? We know from Luke 8 that she had been filled with seven demons. And the demonic, when we study it biblically, we see that the demonic is often about bondage. It's about, it's, it's about oppression. That evil wants to enslave me. That evil wants to isolate me. That evil wants to deceive me and tempt me. And frankly, evil, the demonic, is all about destruction. Evil wants to destroy me. And she would have felt that for who knows how many years. And we're not told exactly what her ailments were, or exactly what she went through, but she would have been tormented. And when she met Jesus, he set her free. That's powerful. Easter means that hope is both powerful and personal. Think about it. When Jesus died, she thought her hope died. She was certain that while her experience with him was so powerful, that now everything was was different and not in a good way. And she comes to the tomb and thinking he's still dead. She's interacting with his angels. In verse 13, they ask her, woman, why are you crying? And she says, they have taken my Lord, and I don't know where they put him. And at this, she turned around and she saw Jesus standing there, so outside the tomb. But she did not realize that it was Jesus. And thinking he was the gardener, right? He had said to her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? And thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you've carried him away, just tell me where you've put him and I will get him. And Jesus said to her, Mary. Actually, what he said to her was Miriam which is the accedent to her name. He calls her by name. She recognizes his voice and she turned to him and she cries out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means rabbi, it means teacher. Hope is personal because he knows her by name and he knows you by name. Think about that. He knows her by name and he knows you by name. Hope is powerful and hope is personal. And her hope was resurrected in this moment because he was resurrected. Let me ask, are you disheartened after the last year? Are you in need of having some personal demons driven out of your life? Are you in need of a hope that is a personal enough to know you by name and powerful enough to change everything in your life? I'd like to introduce you to that hope. His name is Jesus. He is powerful and personal. And he is overcome. And because he is overcome, he can overcome whatever needs overcoming in your life. So I want to ask you, has Christ become powerful and personal for you? Has he? I'm going to give you a chance for Christ to become powerful and personal in just a moment. Just a few minutes. I'll say a prayer And it'll be a prayer you can pray with me. But in that prayer, you can ask Him to be your God, your Savior, your Lord. He can be in charge of your life. He can be the forgiver of your sins. You can ask Him to set you free. 
Would you do that? Historical faith says Christ lives, but personal faith says Christ lives in me. Think about it. Do you have that? Today we're beginning a new series. And that series, for the next six, eight weeks, however long we decide it will last, for that next six, eight weeks, we're going to do a series that we're launching today called Soul Detox. And the question I have for you is, is there anything that needs to be detoxed, that needs to be cleansed in your soul? Certainly, as you interact with others, you can think about a lot of toxic stuff that's gone on over the years, and you can think about some needs to detox in your life. But before we ever think about other people, I want to spend weeks looking inside each of us to ask about the cleanse that we need from Jesus so that this can be fresh for our lives and our souls. And I want to, whether you're, I want to invite you back, whether you're watching online or whether you're watching in person, I want to invite you back for the next six, eight weeks. Would you commit to that? There's one more here, number four. Easter means that hope is for everyone. Hope is for everyone. Think about how powerful this is. Jesus said to her, right, remember, she's called him Rabboni. He, she recognizes him, and she must have, in fact, we read it in the other Gospels, just clutched, fell at his feet and clutched him. And Jesus said to her, do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them that I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. And Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. I want you to think about how powerful this is. Because she goes to tell the story of Jesus. In fact, she becomes, in a lot of ways, the very first evangelist. It was Mary and the other women to whom that famed phrase, He is not here, He has risen. It was to Mary and other women that that phrase was said. Mary was the first to see the empty tomb. Mary's the first to see the resurrected Christ. Mary is the first to tell others that he is risen. Do you think it's an accident that the Gospels go out of their way to highlight these females? John focuses on Mary. The other Gospels tell us that there were other female disciples with her. Do you think it's an accident that the Gospels go out of their way to point this out? I don't think so. Because this was not written in a modern context. Ancient readers would immediately recognize what we do not. See, what ancient readers would have known is in that day, in that context, in that culture, and I am not defending it, but I am describing it. Women were not considered equal to men. Women were not considered needing to be educated. Women were not considered needing to be disciples of religious leaders. And yet Jesus had them and called them and taught them and healed them. Women in that day were not considered to be reliable witnesses. And women in that day could not testify on behalf of someone else in a legal proceeding. And so someone has written that it's highly significant that Christ appeared first to a woman. 
and that this appearance is recorded in all four Gospels, that it was not only to a woman, but one in that culture that had been oppressed, a person who had, who had known the demonic personally. And what a great comfort this should be to us, that Christ always comes first to the poor in spirit, that, that many went, men and women, when they heard of this, and I want you to think particularly about the women who would have been oppressed in the culture who would hear this and believe in their heart that the good news is for them too. Jesus has always cared about all people, that all people were made in God's image, male and female made in God's image, all people, all races made in God's image. I think this is powerful for another reason. All of this is why I believe that the resurrection is real. If this was a story made up, again, remember there's this myth out there that this is all made up, that it, it happened to cover sort of the story of Jesus that, that the disciples went and stole his body and then they invented a story of a resurrection. Let me ask you this. One, if that was true, and it's not, but if it was, don't you think that they would have made their way in, taken the body, and not taken time to unwrap the linen? And then when they took off and made way with the body and they wanted to tell the story about how Jesus was resurrected, Don't you think that they would have made themselves, the men, the heroes of the resurrection? Not not the hero in the sense that Jesus is, right? John goes out of his way to make Jesus the hero of the story, and he is. But don't you think that, that, that if this was all false, and it was all faked, and it was all made up, don't you think that that the men who wrote these things wouldn't have made the women the first ones there, wouldn't have made Mary the first one to see the resurrected Jesus, wouldn't have made Mary the first one to be the first evangelist to tell his story, that I have seen the Lord. This is powerful, friends. And so in this story, what we see is an aha moment that is perhaps... <clears throat> the biggest and the best aha moment in all of history. Because in this aha moment, Mary, for the very first time, recognizes that Jesus has risen from the dead. And she goes to tell the disciples, and they don't exactly believe her at first. And so they have to later have their own aha moments where they come to believe. And the question I want to ask you is, do you have that hope? Have you had that aha moment? Because there's hope for the hurting. And there's hope for you. Because Jesus has overcome. So do you have that hope? And is that hope fresh in your life today? I sure hope so. Have you had that aha moment? You say, how do I have that moment? You do what she did. You fall to your feet. You put your faith in him like it says John did. And you believe. And you can do that right here, right now. I always end with two prayers. And I would just tell you before we end in prayer today that the tomb, it wasn't open to let out the body of Jesus. The tomb was opened to let all of us see in and believe that he is alive, that he has risen. He has overcome. So I was in with two prayers. That first is a prayer of salvation. And if you need Jesus today, you need hope today, you need forgiveness today, you can pray it with me right here, right now. 
After this prayer, I'm going to pray a second prayer. It's a prayer of of application, a prayer of discipleship for those of us who follow Jesus and have for a long time. Prayer of salvation. Would you pray it with me? Would you really? Seriously? If you don't have Jesus, would you just pray this right now with me? Dear Jesus, thank you for coming, living, dying for my sins. And Jesus, thank you that you are alive. Jesus, I turn to you. And I don't deserve it, but I ask for your mercy. I ask you to forgive me. And I ask you to take over my life and give me hope and live in me And help me to live that hope every single day. Jesus, please. Be my God. Be my hope. Be my Savior. Take over my life, Jesus. I give my life to you and I pray in your name. Amen. Amen. It's just like that. It's just like that. You just... You pray and you ask and he does and it's powerful. And if you prayed that prayer with me just now for the very first time, I would love to know that. If someone invited you to watch, you can tell them and they'll let me know. Or you can fill out our digital communication card and let me know that way. There's a place to check that I've become a follower of Jesus for the very first time. Or you can even email me. I'm Brian, B-R-I-A-N at HarvestChurchEugene.com. I would love to hear from you. I always end with two prayers. The second is a prayer of application. It's a prayer of discipleship. And if you followed Jesus some number of years ago, and today you want to refresh that, and you want that hope fresh today, and you want to pray with me, pray just like this. Say, Dear Jesus, everyone, I hope you do. Dear Jesus, thank you that you came, you taught, you were crucified, and you rose again. And so give me hope in my grief and pain. And thank you for the comfort of knowing that death in this world is not the final answer. Thank you that you are the first to be resurrected. And as believers, so shall we. Thank you that there's hope in mercy. Help me to live that mercy And share that same mercy that you have shared with me. Thank you that hope is both powerful and personal. So please keep changing my life. I commit to you to allow you to cleanse and detox all that is toxic in me over these next six to eight weeks. Thank you that hope is for everyone. And so make me like Mary, willing to go to others, to any person, any background, any time, and just say, I have seen the Lord. Tell my story. Jesus, I pray that you would fresh, that you would freshen hope deep in my soul today. And I thank you that you have risen. 
pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Friends, he is good and he is risen. Indeed. Indeed. So I want you to go today and I want you to go in hope because you are loved.